And of course, like the sad thing is we spend all this energy worrying about audio quality and then people listen on their phones. <laughs> They'll throw in some like $5 earbuds <laughs> that they got from the Dollar Tree and then they're going to listen and you're like, you spent thousands of dollars trying to get this perfect sound and they're like, they don't <laughs> we even require know. a studio and we'll, yeah, studio they, don't know. we'll get. they don't know. They don't care. <laughs> Thanks for again, Matt, for being on the podcast. This yeah, is a uh, awesome. I, I, I love seeing all the stuff you do from traveling to the awesome pictures, videos. It's great. Um, so, Matt, tell us a little about a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from, and kind of um, I know you do other instruments as well. But as far as when did you first pick up a violin? Yeah, so it starts early. Uh, I started playing the violin just before I turned three years old. Wow. Um, my mom is was a church organist has a master's degree in music. And so I literally grew up sitting on an organ bench next to my mom in church. And I was probably two and a half. And um, there was a violin professor from the college in that town, Albion College. And Dr. Mason came in and played his violin with the choir while my mom was playing organ. And apparently I was fascinated. You know, I remember this, I was two years old, but apparently I was... I was captivated by this thing and I just begged and begged and begged for a violin. And finally my grandmother asked my mom, she's like, am I going to get the kid a violin or are you going to get him a violin? Cause he will not shut up about this. <laughs> my mom's like, you know, he's two. So I don't really know, but there wasn't an internet back then. Uh, I was born in the stone age. So uh, they found a little 10th size violin and they called around and found a teacher that would take a three-year-old Wow. And um, it kind of went from there. That's awesome. So from there, did you just kind of take classes, uh, or you know, after school you were into violin, and from there, you just... yeah, it was all private lessons. So I studied at uh, Michigan State University. Uh, private lessons after school. This would have been like kindergarten through maybe seventh grade, mm -hmm. and then we moved uh, to near South Bend, Indiana. So I was studying at Notre Dame for a while, wow. and then I studied at University of Toledo. Uh, when I was in high school. So uh, those three colleges and then Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp and a bunch of um, the university camps in the summertime. But it was during my teenage years sort of discovered rock and roll. And I was playing trumpet at the time. I picked up trumpet in sixth grade mm -hmm. because the school I went to didn't have an orchestra and I wanted to play with other kids. So kind of trumpet plays more or less the same role in a band that orchestra violin. So, uh, and my dad was a trumpet player when he was in school and he found an old cornet at a pawn shop or something. And, um, so yeah, I ended up playing trumpet too. And, and in high school I discovered rock and roll and I'm finding that there's all these bands, blood, sweat and tears and tower of power and, um, Chicago and, uh, the black crows were touring with a horn section. Aerosmith is touring with a horn section and Steve Ray Vaughan had a horn section and all these, all these cool bands that I liked are like, I'm hearing horns. And I'm like, well, this is, I want to do that. Mm. So I wasn't really thinking that violin was going to be the thing. I was way more focused on trumpet through school. Uh, ended up playing trumpet in college. I went to Michigan State, played in the marching band and the pet band there. Um, and I get out of college uh, with an engineering degree and go get a job in Beaumont, Texas. 
because it doesn't snow there. I don't <laughs> like snow. So I moved to Texas, and you know, very shortly after that, I bump into this band that are friends of this girl that I met, and I land a job with them as a trumpet player, and I'm playing trumpet in this band that's sort of touring all over the South, and you know, trying to sneak out of work to go play with this band and doing a hundred and some shows a year across six or seven states with this band. And maybe a year after I started with them, they're like, well, you know, we're thinking about maybe trying to add a violinist. And I'm sort of thinking I'm going to get squeezed out of my job here. And I'm like, I might know a guy who can play fiddle, you know, (laughs) I'd never played fiddle. It was all Mm. classical. So I go home and dust my violin case off. I hadn't played in a couple of years. And, um, and then it sort of began this process of trying to figure out how to, to play rock and roll on a violin and, and then had to discover how to, you know, we stuck a microphone on the thing in a bar and eh, that's no good. And then, you know, I go get a pickup on it and that's no good. And I found a, uh, electric violin. They, they only had one at this guitar shop in town. So I bought it and now nah, that didn't sound like I wanted. So then I find this guy named Mark Wood on the, on a fledgling internet. I find him, this is, well, not fledgling. This is, this is, uh, maybe 1997. Um, you were probably one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was six. I was yeah. 91. Yeah. So I, I find this Mark Wood guy who was one of the founders of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Wow. And he's got this flying V violin. I'm like, that thing is dope. <laughs> so I, I'm an engineer. I got a good job. I'm single. You know, I don't have anybody to tell me no. So I buy like this $3,000 violin completely sight unseen. It was back in the days when you called the shop and Mark actually answered the phone. And he talks me into a five string. A standard violin is four strings. He's like, man, if you're playing rock and roll, you got five strings. You got more. Oh, okay, man. You know, whatever you say. So I get this five string violin and it's completely different from anything I'd ever played before. And all my guitar player buddies, Texas is just infested with guitar players. So all my guitar player buddies are like, dude, that thing's awesome. Plug it into my amp and let's see what happens. <laughs> so that's how I started started discovering effects and amps and distortion. And they're like, here, here's a blues scale. I'm like, what's a blues scale? You know, I teach this in classical music. Yeah. They know blues scales and Mozart. <laughs> so they're teaching me all this stuff that I didn't know, like stuff they don't teach in music school. Yeah. It's stuff that all these guitar players know from the time they're 12 years old. But that's, yeah, that's how I learned how to play rock and roll on the violin was from a bunch of guitar players. That's crazy. Did you ever see yourself trying to imitate certain people's guitar solos on the on the violin? Absolutely. Just, yeah. yeah, I've got a, a Satriani cover that uh-huh. I do that's super popular. Awesome. And um, yeah, my, my playing style, most of my influences are actually guitar players. Okay. You know, people will ask me, who are your influences? Expecting to hear a list of violinists and they're all guitar players. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you said you know trumpet and violin. What what else have, have yeah, you Yeah, I mean I play up? a little bit of guitar. Mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, I think every kid learns how to strum some campfire yeah. songs, you know, you learn your cowboy chords on the yeah. guitar. And, uh I played a little bit of piano and just enough to sort of be able to hack around on it. Uh when I'm when I'm writing songs, sometimes I'll write on a guitar, sometimes I'll write on the piano, sometimes I'll write on the violin. So mm-hmm. um yeah, just you know, little stuff to hack around on, but well enough to get paid probably just trumpet and violin yeah 
Um, it's awesome because I, I grew up playing the trumpet as well. I started in sixth grade and then ninth grade I stayed in it only because I thought we were going to Disney World in high school for a band and we ah. never did so I quit the year after that and started doing <laughs> broadcasting and video stuff instead. <laughs> but um, so obviously you have appreciation for music. Do you think it's important to know different instruments to kind of appreciate music more as far as you know if you learn just one instrument you may just appreciate that one but because you know trumpet guitar probably a little bit of piano and violin do you see yourself kind of appreciating music and making it easier to create music that you know more instruments and just yeah i think each instrument teaches you to look at music a different way because each instrument sort of has its own limitations mm-hmm. um like if you're a painter i think it helps you if you understand sculpture Maybe I'm not going to be a sculptor, but if I, if, I, if I have done a little bit of sculpting, that's going to inform my painting a little differently, mm-hmm. right? So I actually, I tell my students, um, I think it's a good idea to learn a little bit of guitar just as a chordal instrument so that you can start thinking in terms of chords, whereas a violin or a trumpet or a saxophone, they tend to be more single note instruments. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, they tend to be more single note instruments. Um, so if you think in terms of chords, like with a guitar or a piano, you're going to understand what's underlying your playing better. Gotcha. That's awesome. So when when did you kind of come to the point where you kind of started like venturing off with like bands as a violinist and stuff like that? Because I know in the past you've been involved with bands and things like that. Right. When did that kind of come into play? Did that come... Before marriage, after marriage? No, yeah, yeah. So uh, this would have been about this time in the late 90s. So, um, yeah, in my early 20s, uh, I was... Actually, I, pl- I started playing with bar bands when I was about 17 mm-hmm. um, as a trumpet player. So I knew, like, the first time I did that, I was like, this is what I want to do when I grow <laughs> up. And, you know, I went and got an engineering degree anyway. Both my parents are teachers, and it was, it was... I just came from that mentality that you're going to have a day job. You want to have something to, to quote, fall back on, mm-hmm. which I realize now is complete horse crap. <laughs> um, if you're going to do something, do it and do it all the way. And yes, you can make a living in the arts. You can. I love that. Um, so no, I mean, if you want to be a player, go be a player, but you, you got to know what that means. Mm-hmm. It mean it doesn't mean like, like I got into music cause I didn't want to work that hard. Man, if, if you want to make this your living, you're going to work your butt off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting an engineering degree because that's sort of the, the paradigm that I grew up with, that you're going to have a job with a, you know, you're going to clock in in the morning, clock out at night, and you're going to have benefits and, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, if you want to chase your dream, you can do it at night, which mm-hmm. is the most ridiculous crap I've ever heard. Yeah. But, um, I mean, assuming you're good enough to pull it off, right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that, that that's their, that's their dream is, is their dream is to, to play music and they're not good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I get that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I probably in my late teens, early twenties, I started playing in in rock bands and bar bands. um, And I toured with a band in Texas for about 10 years um, and about eight years into that is when I met my wife. Um, I was still working a day job as an engineer. I was working 40 hours a week as an engineer and doing a hundred and some dates a year all over. Uh, we called it the crawfish circuit called kind of all around the Gulf coast. Okay. Um, 
And when you're single, man, you know, who cares, right? Yeah, you're 23 absolutely. years old. You don't have to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so you get off of work and you go drive a couple hours and play a show, grab a shower, drive back to work. Don't even sleep. Work all day. Go play another show that night and then you sleep, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I've done that a hundred times. Um, but then, yeah, I met my wife. We got married, uh, quit the band, quit my job at DuPont. We moved to Guatemala to be missionaries. Hmm. My wife is a physician, so we were down there doing medical missionary work. We're down there for two years. Um, she's originally from North Carolina. We met when we were living in Texas. Um, she was doing her residency in Texas. So then she wanted to come back to North Carolina. Mm. Um, and so we came to North Carolina where she found a job, lived in Greenville, North Carolina for a few years, and maybe a month or two after I got to Greenville, I went to an open mic night and I played some Hendrix oh, at, nice. the, at an open mic night on my violin. And there happened to be a guy there who was a manager of a local band and said, man, we're looking for a fiddle player and I auditioned for the job and got the job. And then I did 10 years with that band doing about 150 shows a year. Mm. Um, and we moved here to the Raleigh area um, about partway through that. So I was commuting sort of all over North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, playing with those guys. And then, so just a little over a year ago, I just kind of, you know, it just, I felt like it had run its course. You know, I'd said what I had to say artistically in that area. And a big part of me really didn't want to leave those guys, but a big part of me was like, I don't feel like I'm growing anymore in yeah. this. And it's time for me to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's a hard thing. It kind of leads me to the next point. You release your first or not first, but your EP. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's my first solo uh, yeah. effort. I've been on a bunch of other people's records. Mm -hmm. So I took uh, New Year's Eve 2018 was my last show with Spare Change. Uh, I took 2019 off and wrote and recorded this album. So it's seven tunes. Mm -hmm. um, and all original. It's a rock record with no guitar on it. Mm -hmm. All all the stuff that you think is guitar is actually violin. That was my that was my question. I, I've listened to it twice already, and I was like, some of this sounds guitarish, but every bit of that is violin. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. So then the goal in 2020 is to play out some more. I really didn't play out a whole lot last year. Mm -hmm. The goal in 2020 is to play out some more to take some of that original stuff and tour it, um, and um, and then also to release a single every month. Wow. So to try to get 12 singles out this year and then maybe four or five music videos. Are you making it to where you, you, you're going to try to front load as much as you can, get as much done beforehand, or do you want to make it one month as this, next month as this? Like you want to kind of make it each month as a new song or try to get three done in one month? Right, right, right. So um, no, probably six of these songs that I'm going to release this year are already more or less written. They're not, none of them are finished. They're sort of each one, like I finished the song in January that I released in January, in January. Mm -hmm. um, the Florida, the, the February, Florida, February, the <laughs> F words. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's, those are F words for church people. Um, no, the, the February song is at my mixing engineer's house right now. And okay. I probably would have had it back already, but he got a kidney stone. Ooh. So uh, he's a few days behind right now, Ooh. but uh, whatever, no big deal. Um, he's going to get that back to me for release. I don't mix any of my own stuff because mm -hmm. I'm just too close to it. Yeah. Uh, the March song, I have not decided. Uh, it's between two songs that are probably 95% finished. Uh-huh. 
Um, so I've, I've got some stuff that's sort of ready to release almost. Mm-hmm. I just need to finish it that month. And then I'm probably going to have to write another five or six songs yet this year. Yeah. So what's, uh, or how important was this kind of EP for you as far as getting it done? Like, did you have the motivation of like, almost in a way of, I kind of want to show people I can do it on my own? Or oh, yeah, you, have yeah, you, have yeah. you always, was there part of that kind of like, I don't want to say pride, but just kind of that emphasis of like, I want to show people I can do this on my own. Yeah, and, for sure. And and I wanted to show myself was yes. the biggest thing. Really, um, I don't, I'm not going to make any money on this. It's mm-hmm. going to be, um, I was able to record it so cheaply because I do most of the recording myself. I'm one of the rare people that will probably break even mm-hmm. on a solo EP. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm probably actually close to breaking even now, honestly. But um, the big thing is, I, I, for me as an artist, I needed to have something that when people go, hey, well, you know, you're a violin player. What do you do? Mm-hmm. I wanted to have something to hand them to show them. This is who I am. This is what I'm mm-hmm. about. And I spent 20 years touring, playing other people's music. What the heck did I learn during that time? Uh-huh. So, you know, what is my identity? It's not, hey, by, you you can sound just like that Charlie Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, okay. Yes. <laughs> and, and that paid the bills pretty good for a while, but yeah. I, I want to know what I sound like. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to do that. Um, and now then, but the thing is like the album as a format is kind of dead, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who buys albums nobody buys albums anymore um you know they release them on spotify or whatever physical cds like who buys a physical cd old people Mm -hmm. now the profit margin's insane so i do have cds okay um so like you know you go play somewhere and people do want to walk away with something physical in their hand Mm -hmm. um and i'm more than happy to do that like i said profit margin's insane on those things so that's how you break even Mm -hmm. (laughs) on your album is by selling physical cds but most of them will get stuck in a drawer and never played. Mm. So for me, and plus I feel like, you know, that, that, that album was 38 minutes long or however it was asking for 38 minutes of somebody's time in 2020. Yeah. It's it just hard, doesn't yeah. happen. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have 38 minutes to give me. Okay. Yes. Like my wife hasn't listened to that thing front to back. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I, I figure instead of once a year asking you for half an hour to an hour, each month I can ask you for a couple minutes mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's more realistic. Yeah. So as a format, I think it's good for me cause it helps, it puts deadlines on me and I work better when I have a deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps me to release a tune every month, but I think it also is less, it feels less demanding of my audience. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and kind of going back to being demanding, I'm sure the job engineering job was demanding, right? So do you kind of see stuff from your, engineering job that you say like, i don't want to be that same matt in my life as far as the violin it's like do you see stuff in your old job and you're like i just don't want to do this kind of stuff as far as the pressure that you have you put on yourself yeah that well, kind of what makes you want to be more relaxed and as being a violinist man you know the pressure that was on me that was that i was doing a job that i knew i didn't want to do mm. um and it was all it was like that all through college honestly i'm sitting in my engineering classes and i'm playing in the marching band i'm playing in pet band and i'm playing in in this bar band and the whole time I'm sitting in my engineering classes, I'm thinking what I really want to be doing is playing music right now. And, you know, I can think of exact points where I'm sitting in a class and I've got a chart that I haven't learned yet for a rehearsal that's coming up. And I've got this professor blah, 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 <laughs> about reaction engineering. And what I'm really doing is I'm sitting here sort of half-heartedly taking notes, 
but I'm, I'm studying this music chart that I want to learn because that's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole time that I was working for DuPont, yeah, I enjoyed the people I worked with and it's, you know, it's fun solving problems and, and doing all that stuff. But honestly, what I wanted to be doing was playing music. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm finally in a position now and part of it's due to the fact that my wife's a physician and she makes good money. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has insurance as part of her job <laughs> <That's good>. is <laughs> that I can, I can go play music now. That's awesome. And uh, kind of another point I thought about is how important is it to have someone to be so supportive as your wife Heidi is? I mean, like how, how beneficial is that to you as someone who someone might say like, oh, like, you know, what's your full-time job? Like, I know you play the violin. You know, my, my thing when I would do video, people, okay, so what's your actual job? Because obviously right. you can't make a living doing that. So right. how beneficial is it having a supporting spouse that supports you in all well, that you do? you know, the, the thing is like, I'm one of those people that once I've decided that I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And <laughs> if the awesome. consequences are really bad, then, you know, oh, well. You figured out. Um, Heidi has been really supportive. Uh, I won't say that she was super excited about me doing 150 shows a year for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's every Friday, Saturday, year round, and then a lot of weeknights. So for 10 years, she was home with kids by herself on weekends and uh, you're a married guy. You know that mm. that's that's yeah. not um, cause some tension. It it it's not that it's not without problems, yes. right? It doesn't it doesn't not cause friction for sure. Um, but uh, she didn't leave. So, <laughs> so there's that there's that to say, right? <laughs> um, and I won't. Yeah, I won't say that my music career hasn't been costly for her and for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she's still here, yeah. um, is super. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Right? I've seen a lot of promising music careers die an early death because a spouse said, you're done. Mm. And she has not put her foot down in that way. And I think she knows that I probably wouldn't just capitulate on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so part of it has to be that you just, you got to understand this is, this isn't something I do. This is something that I am. This is an identity issue. And of course, um, you know, my faith is where my true identity lies. Mm-hmm. But man, uh, <laughs> playing music is, is is pretty high. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to, I don't feel complete. I don't feel like I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do mm-hmm. if I'm not playing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, being that you are now a father of two, do you, um, you know, if, if, if one of your kids comes up, comes up to you and kind of tells you they want to do something that's you may not think is a a proper career, do you kind of steer them to say, all right, still go to school and all this stuff, and eventually you can get to do something that you want to do? Like, I know Isaac loves BMX. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you I, push him to do BMX? I was going to say, hey, like, do math and all this. You know. My 12-year-old wants to be a professional BMX rider, <laughs> and um, and the trajectory he's on, that's very possible, that he could he could be good enough in the next six years to be a professional BMX rider. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he will or not, but he could. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I want to encourage him to push himself on the bike. If that's, and, I, and I'm not saying I want to push himself to be a BMX rider. He has decided he wants to be a BMX rider. Mm-hmm. So that means, okay, if this is what you want to do, this is how you get to success from there. And I'm able to draw a lot of parallels between chasing music abilities and chasing athletic abilities both of these things are things that you're going to fail more than you succeed at first and um you know 
failure in music doesn't cause as many broken bones as it does in athletics, (laughs) um, which he points out a lot. Um, (laughs) But there's failure and then there's hard work and there's hard work and there's hard work and then there's success. Mm -hmm. And um, so those are life lessons, whether he ever makes it and he's already made a little money riding bike, some shows and stuff, but whether he ever makes any real money riding his bike or not, those are life lessons that you learn. There was a thing that I couldn't do. I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, and now it's routine, right? So I, I encourage him to pursue BMX for that reason, mm-hmm. that it's that it's full of life lessons. If he decides he wants to be a professional BMX rider, man, I know 20 professional BMX riders. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe three of them are making enough money at BMX that it's their only source of income. Um, I think in 2020, and it would be 2030 by the time he's he's really doing any of this, but uh, I think the the world will have changed enough that a single source of income isn't necessarily what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've told him that, you know, the more things you're good at, the more options you have and options are, are a good thing. You know, what if you what if you get in a crash mm-hmm. and you tear up your knee and you can't ride BMX anymore? Now what you going to do? Mm. So yeah, you got to be good at math. Um, you got to be good at science and you've got to be good at, at writing. And, and even if you are a professional BMX rider, a lot of your income is going to come from sponsors. You've got to be able to communicate with these sponsors. You, so you've got to be a good writer. You're going to have to be able to be a functioning human being in society. You're going to have to be able to do math. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's not terribly hard to sort of teach that school is still important. Yeah. Um, even if you're going to do some crazy career like jump bicycles over stuff you know <laughs> that's true that's 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 100 true um you know and i feel like just growing up you know 90s and early 2000s just loving and, and admiring just the the the, the close-knit family that bmx riders and skateboarders have i've noticed a lot just whenever i've like seen your instagram videos the comments i feel like there's a good network within people who play violin and stuff too that's the all through your comments like how important and beneficial has that been in your you know, Rod to be even a more successful player as far as the networking within violinists and like the event. Was it Nam or Nam? Yeah, Nam. Nam. I keep saying Nam, like Nam. Like yeah. I'm going to Nam. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so kind of expand upon that as far as like how that's been beneficial for you, how just the networking of different, you know, violinists and other musicians have been in your recent success through, you know, Instagram and other ways you talk to them. Yeah, sure. So, um, pre internet, there was not any way for, us to know i was an innovator in this field i'm i'm one of i was one of the fairly early adopters of sort of rock violin the problem was there were a number of us that were doing this stuff that didn't know about each other Uh, my buddy chuck who's in chicago was sort of evolving parallel path to me in texas and my friend tracy in nashville was evolving parallel path to what my friend mark was doing in new york and some friends in LA and some friends in Seattle. We're all sort of evolving parallel path to each other. Um, and we didn't really learn about each other until later in our careers. If we had known about each other 10 years earlier, we could learn things from each other and things that took me two or three years to figure out. And they took Tracy two or three years to figure out. And they took Mark two or three years to figure out. We could have, if we'd have worked together, we could have put our heads together and we could have all figured this stuff out in two or three weeks. Mm. So we could have all progressed a lot faster. Um, I'm actually sort of at the hub of a lot of these online relationships now 
um, I just get a lot of joy out of connecting people in, uh, in, in networks. Yeah. So I see the value in that where, uh, you know, my friend D sharp is a, is a DJ and a violinist in Los Angeles and he and I have different styles, but when I watch his videos, I'm like, man, that gives me, I don't want to do that, but that gives me an idea about something else. Mm-hmm. And my friend Val, who's a singer songwriter in Seattle, I'll see one of her videos and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that, but that gives me an idea about something else. So when uh, my friend Raz, who lives in, uh, in Monterey, California is a gearhead. I'll call her and say, Raz, there's a thing that I want to do. And what do you think about this? She goes, yeah, I, I, I wanted to do something like that too. And here's what I did to figure it out. So we all kind of help each other. And that way, you know, I'm not competing for jobs with her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're able to help each other advance faster. I mean, my, my Instagram and DMS and my Facebook DMS are blowing up all the time with people. Hey, how did you do this? What gear did you use? How did you, you know, what's the sound that you do, you know, and we sort of just help each other out and then, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's inspirational and it's helpful. And, um, you know, I, I've, I learn as much from my students as they learn from me. I yeah. hope. Um, so that's uh, yeah, it's been a good thing. So that um, the Nam thing is it is it a, is it not just violins? It's all sorts of music. It's all sorts. Like yeah. So Nam is about one hundred and twenty thousand people. Wow. Um, it is the National Association of Music Manufacturers or Merchandisers or whatever it is. Sure. But it's it's the music trade show that's every year in Anaheim, California. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Anaheim Convention Center is nine acres of floor space. Wow. And we use every square inch of that thing. <laughs> and it's everything from DJs to um, loudspeaker companies to companies that make smoke machines that blow bubbles. You know, yeah. They're blowing bubbles that are full of haze. <laughs> and there'll be a booth with nothing but batons for conductors. And there'll be a booth with like reeds for saxophones. And there'll be a booth for electric violins and all these different booths. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it's where everybody debuts their new products. So all these companies and all these artists are coming in from all over the world. And I've got relationships with these companies through Electric Violin Shop and through my own work. So rather than me having to go to Australia to meet this guy and France to meet this person and Brazil to meet this person, we all come to California and we can all sort of hang out and have the meetings we need to have mm-hmm. on one plane ticket instead yeah. of having 20 plane tickets. Um but because all these artists are coming in, I organized what we call the fiddle hang. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had the second annual fiddle hang. Hey, we got all these amazing violinists here. We should totally get together and hang out. And like, you know, Daniela Padron, you should meet Jesus Florido. I know you guys have met online, but you've never met in person. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to sort of facilitate like this person inspires me and this person inspires me. They should know each other. That's awesome. So that's we were able to connect artists and gear makers and sponsors and all these people all sort of got in a room together and drank a couple beers and listened to some music and a whole bunch of collaborations came out of that. Sounds like an ideal night for me. I'll go just to watch. Yeah, man, it was incredible. <laughs> Dang. Um, yeah. So you mentioned music um, earlier uh, with just with 2020, there's all different kinds of music. As someone who plays an electric violin, something that wasn't necessarily obviously ever th- probably thought of hundreds of years ago from the classic violin, do you try to keep an open mind on modern day music as far as, you know, if you see something you instantly don't say you hate it, you kind of try to listen out? Kind of yeah, listen to play it? I, you know, 
I'm old, so I'm 46. And, you know, the thing that I always thought in my 20s was that, you know, I was tired of being around these guys, these old guys in their 30s, you know. And it's like they just, by the time they hit 30 or 35, they think they know everything that there is to know. And like any kind of new music, these guys are just curmudgeons about it. You know, mm-hmm. I was touring with these guys when I was in my 20s that they were in their 30s. And, well, it's, you know, this newfangled music, this stuff from 2002, it's garbage. You know, all the good music was back in the 70s and 80s. And I'm like, I'm never going to be that guy. Good. I'm never going to be that guy. Um, do I think a lot of the music comes out today is garbage? Yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of it is. But honestly, a lot of the music that came out in 1980 was garbage too. It didn't survive. Mm-hmm. right it got played once or twice on the radio and people went yeah i'll pass <laughs> so we forget we've got this bias because only the good songs have survived on classic rock radio and they're not playing the the crapper songs that came out like you know cut number seven on somebody's disc that was stuck in there for filler because we had to have 10 songs because a record company made us <laughs> um none of that garbage has survived so a lot of the stuff that's coming out today is that it's cut number seven on a disc because somebody made them do it. Um, I think we'll find, you know, we, we remember back in the nineties, a bunch of my buddies heard nineties music's garbage. You go back and listen to nineties, the good nineties music. You're like, that was amazing. Yeah. There's so much good music in the nineties <laughs> and we'll do the same thing about the 2000 and teens, whatever we decide to call that decade. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it'll be the same about today. You know, mm-hmm. there'll be some, some trash that's out. And, and the other thing is like now, Terrestrial radio, I won't say is dead because there's too much money behind it for now, but like, who listens to the radio? Mm-hmm. Do, do you even know anybody who listens to the radio? Yeah, it's definitely not as much as it used to be. Like, like Spotify yes. or Pandora mm-hmm. or YouTube, or there's so many different places to get music. And because I know all these other artists, mostly underground people, there is incredible music being written right now today new music coming out that you can find on Spotify. There's all these amazing playlists from these killer artists. There is incredible music being put out today. Mm-hmm. It's not on QDR. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, really good stuff. And I love the new sounds that people are coming out with. And I'm, I'm constantly trying last night. I drove to Greenville, North Carolina, drove two hours to go hang out with my producer. Who's like this 23 year old kid and a bunch of rappers. That's and awesome. In Greenville, North Carolina, it's like my friend Cole, who's a bass player and a producer, and me, and then like 30 of these young rappers. And I'm not a rap guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a rock guy. But I was like, there's new sounds being made. I want to be around these people. And just, it was incredible. Yeah. I'm not going to buy any of their records. <laughs> but it was really inspiring to see these young kids coming up. They're making new sounds, sounds that have not been made before. They've learned from the rappers that came before them. They've learned from Eminem and Dr. Dre, and they've learned from all these guys, but they're putting their own spin on it. So the things I heard last night were things I've never heard before. It's awesome. So it sort of makes me want to make sounds that nobody else has heard before. Yeah. So when I'm writing music, uh, you know, in the fear of like, oh man, 10 years from now, this is going to sound dated. I really hope so. Mm -hmm. I really hope that the music I make today sounds dated 10 years from now because if it doesn't it means it was pretty blah today mm. right i want it to be fresh and i want it to feel 2020 yeah. and in 2030 we're gonna look back and go wow 
<laughs> you had the same hi-hat machine everybody else had in 2020. You go, yeah, you know, I did. You know what? And the song I made today sounds different from that. That's awesome. And that kind of pushes you to make be more innovative, right? I mean, yeah, that kind for of pushes, sure. Yeah. Um, and going to Instagram too, like, do you see yourself pushing to create more content to put out on Instagram? Like, do you, or I know you use other stuff, YouTube videos as well, but sure. do you, do you try to push yourself to be consistent on these social media platforms to stay consistent? So I'm torn. Um, so two days a week, I work at electric violin shop. Electric violin shop is the only shop in the world that all we do is electric bowed strings. Uh, it's in Durham, North Carolina, just happens to be 20 minutes from my house. And I am the face of the electric violin shop, which if you're going to pick a face, I don't know why you picked this one, (laughs) but, um, they, you know, I was a touring pro. I don't mind being on camera and, uh, I just, I've got a lot of energy for this. I got a lot of passion for this, as you can tell. And so I do all the content creation for electric violin shop, all of our YouTube videos, Facebook videos, Instagram stuff, all the artist relations. So like Beyonce's violinist is a friend of mine. Brian King Joseph, the guy who's on America's Got Talents, a friend of mine. Um, you know, Black Violin, these guys that are blowing up. Uh, they were just, they played at the Oscars. Um, they're friends of mine. When I watch the Grammys, I probably know 10 people that are on stage at the Grammys. These are, it's my job to know these people. So artist relations, and then I work with all suppliers that we've got, just maintaining fresh relationships with them. And then constantly seeking out new suppliers. We carry violins from like 20 different manufacturers around the world. And I'm always seeking out new ones. So my job, literally my job, is to maintain social media for Electric Violin Shop. So I put a lot of energy into that. Sometimes Matt Bell Violinist takes a back seat because there's only so much energy and time in a day. Mm -hmm. So... I do a post every day for Electric Violin Shop on Instagram. I'm probably like twice a week on my own personal page, and the follower counts kind of reflect that. Yeah. Like Electric Violin Shop's like 23,000 followers. Mm-hmm. Mine's like four. <laughs> so it's a lot less. But well, um, it's, you know, it's enough to, to have, I'm making a little bit of noise on social media under my personal account. But then a lot of the rec- the recognition that I have is from Electric Violin Shop's accounts. Um, mm-hmm. So my value to them is increased if my personal profile is increased. And then my personal profile benefits if their profile increases. <laughs> so it's sort of a mutually beneficial thing. Yeah. But most of the content I create is for them because mm-hmm. I'm being paid to create content for them. And I'm not <laughs> being talks. paid to create content for me. <laughs> um, so, Yeah. Uh, a lot of people actually, most people actually know when they send DMs to the Electric Violin Shop account, they're like, mm-hmm. hey, Matt. I mean, they, they, they know, know it's me. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so you kind of answered kind of the closing question as far as, you know, I don't want to put like the 5, 10 year, 20 plan on you, but what's kind of your plan kind of moving forward? Obviously, you're in a, in a line of work that's your passion. You're doing something you love. Do you see yourself kind of doing more, maybe teaching down the road, you know, releasing more EPs? Like, how, do you kind of see yourself doing all of it? Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that I really put a 10-year plan together. Yeah. I don't um, have one either. So it can be it can be yeah. an indefinite plan. You know, for, to... for this year, I want to tour more, and I want to take sort of where the money is at, honestly, is in private and corporate stuff. Mm. Um doing corporate events where I'm the featured entertainment and it's, you know, a violin and some tracks 
And these are all tracks that were recorded in my studio, songs that I wrote, a lot of my original stuff, maybe some original arrangements of things, um, where I get hired as a rock electric violinist. I've got friends that do pretty much the same thing, but they're a little more on the pop-oriented side. Um, I've got some collaborations that I'm working on. Uh, one of these pop guys that's down in Orlando, he and I'm flying down there next month to shoot a mu- music video with him. We've got some gigs that we're pitching out there, big time money stuff. If I can get a few of those a year, man, it's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just sort of trying to, I, I monetized my talent by hiring myself out as a hired gun for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of like, I'm trying to figure out how to do what I want to do. I want to play my music. I want to be me. Mm-hmm. How do I turn that into money? Um, mm-hmm. I don't really necessarily need to make a whole lot of money at it because of my wife's situation. But uh, on the other hand, if I'm going to spend as much time at it as I am, is this a hobby or is it a job? Right. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I don't want a hobby. I want this to be my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- the beautiful thing for me is, I don't have to make a ton of money at this, but um, I want to make some money at it yeah. and I want to do what I want to do. Um, so yeah, right now it's sort of evolving a little bit and hopefully in the next couple of years, uh, it just sort of takes on a bit of a life of its own. Right now it's getting started, so it feels like a little bit of a grind, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm kind of guessing in the next few years, it's going to get a little bit of its own momentum um, if I work at it hard enough. Yeah. Um, those overnight successes are usually a result of about five years of hard work. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that hopefully a couple of years from now I'll I'll be this overnight success, right? That <laughs> busted his chops for the last five years. That's um, true. But I don't know. You know, uh, five years from now, gosh, I'll be in my fifties, which is really depressing. <laughs> um, and but you know, my son will just be finishing up high school, and my daughter will be starting high school, and. Um, yeah, I don't really know what's yeah. what's coming, but um, hopefully I'll be playing my music and doing things the way I want to do them and having mm-hmm. fun and making money. Yeah. So no regrets quitting your DuPont. I mean, or your engineering job. No, <laughs> no, no. My only regret is I didn't quit sooner. <laughs> oh my gosh, Matt, this has been awesome, man. I feel like we could go for hours doing this because I just I'm, I love music, I always have, and just the the knowledge you have, and I'd love to have you back on again soon, man. For yeah, of course, episode. yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This That's is a real pleasure. Awesome. You, uh, you want to like plug your Instagram or anything? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Have? So I have a podcast too. So yes. it's I'm used to asking the questions, <laughs> and I always say my job on my podcast is ask an open ended question and then shut up. Um, so it's a little weird for me to be doing the talking, um, but my podcast is called Rockstar Violinist. Uh, you can find it on, on, uh, iTunes and all the platforms you find podcasts, wherever you found this one, you can probably find Rockstar Violinist. Um, and then Matt Bell Violinist is my Instagram. Same thing on YouTube, mattbellviolinist.com. Um, my Spotify is where a lot of the stuff's going to be released, Spotify and iTunes. Um, yeah, Facebook, Matt Bell Violinist, you can... Mm-hmm find me i'm i'm out there i'm out there i'm the crazy looking dude with lots of tattoos and long red hair <laughs> i love it matt all right man thank you so much yeah thank you absolutely